normally I would ask them to sing it tonight, but they've got so much going on. How many would like to hear it at the end of the service before we go home? Anybody okay with that? We're going to do it whether you're okay or not. I'm just seeking your approval. We are blessed with the people that sing for us. Wasn't that a powerful song? Sometimes I read through the Christmas story as contained in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, and I take turns putting myself into the place of Zacharias or Elizabeth, Joseph or Mary, the shepherds in the field, and try to imagine what it was to have angels announcing the miraculous, the impossible, and they were the first ones to ever hear the message. And that message was going to turn their lives upside down and inside out. They would never be the same again. It wouldn't always be easy. You understand when Mary conceived the child of the Holy Ghost, she could convince no one that that's what had happened. In the eyes of man, even her family, she had been a bad girl. But she knew in her heart, this was God. And Joseph agreed to marry her because the angel told him. Nobody understood why he did that. He was in de facto claiming this is my child, that he had also been bad. And they lived under that shadow from family, from friends, would hurt his business, would change their lives. But it was okay because in their heart, God had shown them that the impossible was about to happen. The miraculous was about to happen. The wise men looked up and saw a star, and they knew it was new. That's what they did. They studied the heavens. But they, they somehow knew the Jewish scripture from Numbers chapter 24, that when that star appeared, it was his star. It was the scepter, the king. And they, they uh, left their city, Tradition tells us their entourage was so large that when they left the city, today it is called Aleppo, that's where they believe they came from, that it took the better part of an entire day for that entourage to leave the main gates of the city. There were so many guards and people traveling with them with all of their tents, all of their needs, and for weeks and weeks they traveled across the deserts just following a star because they had a single verse a promise, but a miracle showed up in the night sky. Stars stay fixed in their places. That's why sailors for centuries have navigated by the stars, but this one didn't stay there. It moved until it finally came to rest right over the house where the young child was. Those men risked the ridicule of their colleagues back in the place of higher learning because they saw a miracle, they saw the fulfillment of scripture and they based everything on that, having no idea that though they remained nameless, their deed would go down in the pages of scripture for all eternity. The shepherds were out in the field. They were the lowest class of people in their land other than a slave, just keeping watch over their flock by night. They had no idea the night sky was going to be interrupted and suddenly an angel would appear to them and they would be terrified as any one of us would and fear not, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly that angel was joined, the Bible says, with a multitude of the heavenly host. We know from Revelation that that host numbers like a hundred million or more. We don't know if they all showed up to sing in the choir that night. But all of a sudden, that sky is filled. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Good uh, peace, goodwill toward men. And then suddenly, the light goes out and the shepherds are left alone after, after the most amazing thing that anyone could ever have experienced or witnessed. And they looked at each other and said, let us now, not tomorrow, not next week, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. I try to place myself in the lives of those people and wonder, what would I have done? How would I have reacted? The miraculous. When I think of the Christmas story, it is filled with miracles. I've named but a few of them. You think of all of the ancient prophecies going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, hundreds of years old that people had held on to and Sometimes they wondered, is God ever going to keep his word? Is God ever going to send us the Messiah? Is the Savior ever going to come? And on just one night, so many of those prophecies were fulfilled, verifying this child, this baby, the one you least expected, where you least expected, here's your Savior, and he will change the world miracles. Our theme this year at our Christmas season has been God of miracles. It'll be the theme of the Christmas cantata in the program tonight, the God of miracles. But you know, sometimes miracles don't always come in the form of a brand new star or an angel in the night sky. Sometimes God sends miracles to us, but they're not wrapped in the way we think a miracle should come. We read but seven verses of what we refer to as the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, yet contained in that simple little passage are two miracles that maybe we are aware of, maybe not, but they are two of those miracles that are wrapped differently than we expect. In 1890, a minister by the name of Russell Conwell published a little book called Acres of Diamonds. The opening chapter told the story of a farmer somewhere in Africa. I believe it was South Africa. The man's name was Ali Hafed. He was a farmer. He owned a portion of land. It was a hard life. He had heard of people in that region that had, had found gold, that had found diamonds, became instantly wealthy and so forth, and became dissatisfied with his life and wanted, wanted those riches for himself and his family. And so he set out on a quest to find them. He sold his little farm and moved with his family and went, went to the places near where others had struck it rich. And the years went by and it never happened to Ali. It is said that he sank into a depression out of which he never escaped. His final years were dark and dismal. He dragged his family down into poverty and finally he died in obscurity and just vanished off the scene. In the meantime, the man who bought his land 
began to farm it just like Ali had. And one day he was walking across his property and there was a creek that passed through a portion of his land. And as he glanced down in the water, he saw an unusual rock in the water. And he waded out and he picked it up and he wiped off the mud and, and rinsed it off and so forth. And, and it, it, it was just this big kind of unsightly looking thing, but it had a bluish tint to it. And he was sort of fascinated with the fact that it was just so unusual and he took it back to his house, put it up on his mantle above the fireplace and just kind of left it there as a, an odd decoration. A few weeks after he did that, he had a guest in his home who walked over and saw the stone and picked it up and, and the owner told him the, uh, you know, the story behind where he had found it and so forth and his visitor looked at him and said, sir, do you not know what this is? He said, no, just, it's just a, an unusual rock. He said, this is a diamond in the rough. They took it to an expert who did what they do and chipped away everything that shouldn't be there. And sure enough, it was one of the largest diamonds that up to that time in the world had ever been found. And that man who bought a simple farm became the owner of what was at that time one of the largest diamond mines in the world. He became so wealthy that you and I cannot even comprehend that kind of wealth. The other man, Ali Hafed, he had, he had undoubtedly walked by that same creek many times. That was a family farm. He had maybe looked down in the same water and perhaps even seen the same stone, but it did not look like a diamond, and he passed it by, and he went somewhere else looking for his fortune when it was right there, and he found out that that farm that he neglected was covered with acres of diamonds. Wrapped in the Christmas story, there is a star of miraculous nature. There are wise men and there are angels and there are, there's a virgin birth and there's so many things that are there that we read them and we recognize that's a miracle, but there are other things that happened in the lives of these people that, boy, they didn't look so miraculous. Will you bear with me this morning as we look at just two of them and just, just see a, a miracle that we're just going to call a diamond in the rough and the whole purpose of this is for us to understand that as God works in our lives he often works in ways that we do not understand he leads and he directs and he brings circumstances into our lives that we would have never chosen for ourselves but it is not God being cruel to us or mean to us or unfavorable to us it is God presenting us with a diamond in the rough if we will but have the faith and the patience to see it. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 made a simple statement. He said, for you have need of patience that after you have received the promise, you'd receive the reward. I'm not a patient man. I am just not a patient man. Do not ride with me in a car today because it'll happen and get to a red light, and the person in front of me will not see it turn green. Sometimes I think people at stop signs are waiting for it to turn green. I don't know what they're smoking, but something's wrong with that. Patience doesn't come to me, and I'm going to be honest with you, in life sometimes, as circumstances roll along, 
I need patience from God to realize he's handed me a diamond in the rough, but it's a diamond nonetheless. The miracles of God. Look with me at Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1. It came to pass in those days. This is right after Mary has had the announcement that she will have a child. She has now conceived that child. Uh, she spent some time with Elizabeth, uh, who was six months pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary goes back home and is facing the scorn and the ridicule there in, in, in Nazareth, and the angels appeared to Joseph, we know from Matthew 1, and, and, and he has yielded, and, and he's gone ahead and married this dear lady, uh, contrary to what everybody thought he should do it's in those days John the Baptist miraculous birth has happened in all of the, the town they lived in uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth are rejoicing that in their old age they they have this little boy and they've named him John and the praises of God are there it came to pass in those days it looks like everything's falling into place and 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 the promises are coming to pass and God's doing great things then suddenly there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, the, the emperor of the Roman world. Caesar Augustus. He lived in Rome, which for the people in Israel was half a lifetime away, a place they'd never seen, they'd heard about, a place they despised because the Romans had ruled over them with an iron fist. And, and, and life was hard and the Romans took their crops and the Romans made them pay taxes for everything and housed the soldiers that occupied their land. That same Caesar that ruled that empire, the Bible says there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Caesar needed to, to finance some campaigns to spread his empire even farther. He needed to build new roads. He needed to strengthen some of the infrastructure he already had. And for that, he needed more money. He made a decree, everyone in my empire is going to pay new taxes. How many enjoy taxes? When we moved to Connecticut, I was stunned when one day in the, in the first summer that I lived here, I got a tax bill for my car that I bought in another state and paid sales tax on there. And now I'm paying taxes. Uh, I lived in, in Illinois I, I, or Indiana. Uh, I lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in New York. We never had to do that, but we get to do it in Connecticut. Um, anybody want to say amen right there? Or anybody want to say, oh, me? Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Um, they're already taxed, but he's adding a new one. He's adding a new one, but he added a new twist to it. There was no historical precedent for it. He said, when you pay your taxes... You have to go back home to where you came from. That would mean I would travel 500 miles to Catanning, Pennsylvania. Now, I can get in my car and make that trip in about eight or eight and a half hours. But in those days, they didn't get in a car, a bus, a plane, or a train. They would have to maybe take a ship and sail across the Mediterranean. They would have to make a trip across land. They would more than likely walk. The average person would walk. Maybe they'd have a simple cart being pulled by an animal, but it was going to be a difficult task. And he passed this law. It made no sense whatsoever. And you understand, we know from the text, the Bible says in verse 5 that Mary was great with child. She was ready to give birth. You don't go on a long trip anywhere when you're about to give birth. Even today, you stay close to home. You stay close to the doctors. You stay close to your hospital because it's time to be delivered. They're not getting a choice. 
It's the law. Caesar Augustus passed the decree. And at the worst possible moment, they have to make a 90-mile journey that probably would have taken at least a week of overland travel if they went at about two and a half miles an hour. Uh, which, which uh, in her condition might have been uh, uh, much slower than that. Uh, the timing could have been worse. But there's a promise in the scripture in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that says, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Why would God allow such a thing? Why would God put, after all God's done for these people, after all God's shown these people, why on earth would he let this pagan king make such a decree? I mean, their scripture says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turneth it whithersoever he will. Uh, Their scripture said that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men, giveth it to whomsoever he will. And yet their God didn't stop that pagan king from writing such a law. How could this be? It was because it had to be. You see, if Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, I'm sorry, in Nazareth, where they lived up in the hill country, he could never have laid claim to the fact that he was the Messiah. Because there are scriptures that not only said the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will, their same scriptures in Micah chapter 3 made the statement, made the, the decree, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. If Mary had delivered her child in Nazareth, he would not have fulfilled prophecy. Remember when the wise men came into into Jerusalem, they said, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? And Herod called the the scribes and the the, the chief priest of of Israel and said, where is it, where is it? And they knew. Uh, They knew there's no evidence that they had to look it up. They didn't have to get their Bible app out on their phone and look up, where's the Messiah supposed to come? They knew in a heartbeat it's going to be Bethlehem. They quoted Micah chapter 5 and verse 3. You see, that decree from a pagan king was a diamond in the rough. It was a miracle of God, though it didn't look like it. It was a hardship on Joseph and Mary, but you understand God was moving them right to the place where once again they were fulfilling the prophecy of Scripture. A diamond in the rough. But there's more. Look, if you would, please, verse number six of Matthew or Luke chapter two. The Bible says, and it came to, uh, and so it was that while they were there, there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Look at this, because there was no room for them in the inn. There's no room for them in the inn. The poor innkeeper, man, has he been vilified. Remember those old claymation stop action films? You know, the, the, the innkeeper is shown as this greedy, uncaring person. And here's a lady great with child about to be delivered. Uh, the birth pains are already on her and he's just turning her down and, and all that kind of stuff. But you realize Joseph and Mary would have been paying customers. He just had no room. He, he wasn't being hateful. He wasn't being uncaring. He wasn't being unkind. There was no room because, you see, everybody that was born in Bethlehem had to show up there. As Brother Tim mentioned in Sunday school, even today the population of Bethlehem is about 1,000. 
That's a, that's a tiny town by comparison to, uh, to places around us. In Bible days, it was smaller than that. They didn't have Holiday Inns and Best Westerns and, 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 and Hiltons and stuff, you know, on, on every intersection coming in and out of the city of Bethlehem. Uh, evidently, they had an inn that was more than likely the home of, of the man who owned it, and he had some rooms that he let out for rent, and there's no room. So here's this precious lady. She's about to give birth to the Son of God. She's about to give birth to her only child, and the only place they had hope of, of delivering the baby was in the inn. You understand, Ma, her mom is not there to help. There's no midwife there to help. There are no friends and family there to support her in her time. It's just her husband, a carpenter, those, those hands that are, are big and callous from working with lumber all of his life. And uh, there, there's no doctor and now there's no room. So they find a place where they raise sheep. And whoever ran it said, ma'am, come in. There in a bed of straw, maybe Joseph threw down undoubtedly a, a, a blanket or a covering of some kind. With all that noise and all that smell in a dirty place by our standards, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. That is where the feed for the sheep was placed, they cleaned it out, and that became the cradle where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords spent his first night. This is not a good thing for Mary, but you understand it had to be. If Mary had found a room in that inn and the innkeeper said, sure, I've got one room left, it's yours, and that's where Jesus would have been born, he could not have claimed to be the Messiah because God had already proclaimed it had to be in a specific place. I need you in your Bibles. You're listening exceptionally well, or you're staring at me and making me think that you are. Can I get you back to Genesis chapter 35? Genesis chapter 35. This is one of the first times the town of Bethlehem is found in the Bible. Verse 18 says it came to pass as her soul this is Rachel the wife of Jacob the mother of Joseph of, of fame in the Old Testament for she died that she called his name Benoni but his father called him Benjamin she died in childbirth and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath which is Bethlehem did we hear that name before in that Micah chapter 5 and verse 3 thou Bethlehem Ephrathah the Bible says, Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. This is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. When we were in Bethlehem, my wife and I, 22 years ago, our guide took us just outside of the town proper. And there is a stone ancient, it's a very ancient stone monument there. It's, it's like people set up um, stones upright like this and then laid a heavy slab over top it, very, very dark stone. And that particular place is called Rachel's tomb. Now, whether it actually is or not, that's what the people, the locals in that area refer. It, it's not elaborate. It's not pretty. There's no shrine built over it. There's no cathedral built over it. But the locals there all refer to that as Rachel's tomb. The Bible says he buried Rachel just out of, outside of Bethlehem. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar 
tower was a structure built out of stone. It was often built for defensive purposes. If you were attacked, you could rush into the tower, close the door, bar it, and, and you could be protected. It was sometimes used as a storehouse, that type of thing. And Jacob pitched his tent by the Tower of Adar. Names in the Bible almost always have a meaning, an important meaning attached to them. And if you write notes in your Bible, the Tower of Adar means the Tower of the Flock. The Tower of the Flock. In ancient times, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, uh, Bethlehem was a, a, a town known for raising sheep. It's because the fields around there, uh, they, they tended to be flat for miles. Uh, the, the hills sloped gently. Uh, they got enough rainfall that there was always an abundance of grass and it was the ideal place uh, for herdsmen to bring their sheep and raise them. And Bethlehem was known. And so Jacob camps by this place called the Tower of Adar. How many got that? You say, wow, that's just change in my life. Turn now to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. We should possibly have a Bible drill here. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. If that's not helping you, hopefully you got your Bible app and you're there. If not, by this time, just look intelligently at whatever page you're on. It's all good. Micah 5 is where they the town of Bethlehem was named as the birthplace, but Micah chapter 4, an overlooked prophecy, but it is so specific about the birthplace of Christ. Look, if you would please, Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. And thou, what's the next phrase, church? O tower of the flock. What was that called in Genesis? The tower of Adar. Where is it? It's Bethlehem. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. You understand the prophecy here is that the king of Israel was coming to the tower of the flock, not the inn in Bethlehem. Now, we have this prophecy in Micah, but in between Genesis 35 and Micah chapter 4, there was a king by the name of Solomon. He built a magnificent temple in the city of Jerusalem, and he is the first king to bring the full worship of Jehovah into Jerusalem. The temple worship required an enormous number of lambs to be used as sacrifices. The law of God was very particular. They had to be lambs without spot and without blemish. It could not have a blinded eye. It could not have a torn ear. It could not be lame. It could not be sick. Uh, it, it had to be, if you will, the perfect specimen of a little lamb. On the Passover, as Jewish people would come, by the hundreds of thousands, they had to have lambs for all of these families and so forth. Bethlehem is 5.52 miles from the city of Jerusalem. 
And beginning in Solomon's day, Bethlehem became one of the many resources from which they acquired the lambs that were sacrificed in the temple, which, by the way, every one of them was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Spotless, innocent, holy, without blemish, without sin. That was our Savior. And so Solomon began that tradition that the lambs came from Bethlehem. Solomon's temple was destroyed in 586 BC and the worship of Jehovah ceased for well over 70 years until a king, a Persian king named Cyrus issued a decree that there should be a new temple built in Jerusalem. And in the days of Ezra, the days of Haggai and Zechariah the prophets, they built a second temple that didn't look like much, and they knew it didn't look like much, but the Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Haggai to say, I want you to understand, I know this doesn't look much like Solomon's temple for those of you that were alive when that was there, but I want you to tell you the glory of this temple is going to be so much better because in this temple, the desire of all nations will come. That's in one of our Christmas songs. Come desire of nations, come fix in us thy humble home. The desire of all nations is the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be that very temple in Luke chapter 2 that Joseph and Mary would come in holding their baby now about 47 or 48 days old. They would bring him in for his dedication in the temple. And an old man named Simeon had this promise from the Holy Spirit. You will not die till your eyes have seen the Lord's Christ. And he come in and the Holy Spirit said that they that's him that's the one and the desire of all nations came into that temple he was the savior Christ the Lord but Micah said in order to qualify as savior not just born in Bethlehem born in the tower of the flock I talked to you about Solomon we okay if you get bored with history I'm really sorry it puts the Bible in True perspective, because history doesn't deny the Bible. It proves it 100%. Those lambs that went into the temple, beginning with Solomon's reign, had to be perfect. So they took measures to ensure that, especially the lamb that was used on the Day of Atonement. On that day, that was a special lamb. He truly pictured Christ. And the whole nation would gather around as the lamb was presented, not just to any priest, but to the high priest. The lamb would be slain, his blood collected in a basin. The high priest would turn and walk through the holy place into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there he would sprinkle the the blood of that little lamb on the mercy seat as a picture of the blood of Christ being shed and applied for the forgiveness of our sin. That lamb was above all lamps, special and holy. So they took extra precautions with that lamb. Those lambs weren't born out under the clouds in the rain or the cold or the wind or the dust. Those lambs were born inside the tower of Adar beginning in Solomon's day. There they were protected by the elements. There they were guarded. The the mother was guarded and fed and cared for. And when the lamb was born, it was not just born and, and, and dropped onto the ground. It was collected by the chief shepherd. 
and they took the lamb, they wiped off the gore, and they would wrap that lamb like you would a human baby. They called it swaddling in linen cloths to protect it from ever getting bruised or damaged. And that lamb was cared for in such a way. And she brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in a manger. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Why? No room in the inn. Do you understand the no room in the inn thing is a miracle, diamond in the rough. I'm sure as Mary trudged into that place, it's not what she dreamed of for the birth of her child. I'm sure she gripped Joseph's hand and said, honey, is this going to be okay? Honey, what are we going to do? Why is this happening? I'm sure she didn't understand. We wouldn't have unless we knew our Bibles really, really, really well. You see, they weren't trying to make Bible prophecy fulfilled. They tried to get into the end. Have you ever tried to do something and it's like the, the door just kept closing and closing and closing? Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever think that maybe that's God saying, wrong door, dude? Amen. Try door number three. See, if you open door number one on Let's Make a Deal, that's where the goat pulling the cart is. Door number three is the Mercedes. God knows, and God has a way of closing doors and saying, just directing us here. And Mary and Joseph went in to the Tower of Adar. You say, why do you believe that? I believe that because of the rest of Luke chapter 2. Can you go back? We're almost done. I've asked the Lord to help me be very concise today, and thus far, he's done that. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for, hold I, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall beat all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Stop. So they now know the baby's been born in the city of David. They are told to go find this babe. He's going to be lying in a manger and all of that. But remember, Bethlehem is a shepherding town. All over those hills, lambs were born at that season on a regular basis. How do you, how do you go around that, that vast area and search out and find that, that, that in one of these uh, campsites with shepherds, there's this, this uh, little baby lying in the feed box uh, and so forth. How do, how do you find him? How do you, how do you even know where to look? Uh, and believe it or not, even in Israel today, in the city of Jerusalem, it is not uncommon for family to keep, families to keep little flocks of sheep. When, like I said, when we were there 22 years ago driving through Jerusalem, we had to stop to let flocks of sheep cross the road in downtown Jerusalem. Where do you start in, in a culture like that, in a place like Bethlehem, to even look? But they know exactly where to go. How? Because the angels told them. It came to, uh, I'm sorry, and ye shall find the babe. This is a sign unto you. Ye shall find the, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. There's only one place in Bethlehem that newborn lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes. The tower of the flock. The tower of Adar. And the Bible says they went, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Say, why are you telling us all this? Why are you giving us all this history about these things? 
Because you and I need to understand how awesome our God is. And you and I need to understand that it's not always a star. It's not always wise men showing up with myrrh and frankincense and and, and gold. Uh, it's, It's not always angels in the sky singing the praises of God. Sometimes it's a decree from a pagan king. Sometimes it's an inn that has no room. Sometimes it's a place where sheep are born. But don't you despair when God allows something into your life that just doesn't make sense. Would you stop and realize that maybe God is giving you this diamond in the rough and and from that there's a miracle about to happen that you could never have dreamed of. When my wife was in Bible college, the church we went to had huge ministry, multifaceted ministries, but she worked in a ministry that was called the Sunshine Ministry. It was a ministry totally devoted to special needs children. This ministry had two, three hundred special needs children every Sunday morning. My grandson would have probably been in that department. They had an adult version of that called the Pathfinders that also reached two or three hundred adults. It's a ministry most churches don't have. It's a ministry most churches don't think about. It's it's a forgotten group of people for whom Christ died and loves. So how did they get that ministry? Well, there was a couple in the church. They were expecting their first child, and when he was born, he was born a special needs child. Now, they didn't love him any less because he was special needs but let's be human for a moment. It's not what they dreamed of. That dad realized I'm never going to toss a ball with my boy. My, my, my son will never go to college. My son will never be a doctor. Or my son may never even be able to have a job. But they had a special needs child. And what they came to the place of realizing their child was a diamond in the rough they began to realize they weren't the only parent raising a precious special needs child. And they realized that those families needed hope and those children needed hope. And so they went to the pastor and said, we'd like to start a Sunday school class for children like our son. And the Sunshine Ministry was born, continues to this day. And in the decades that it's existed, thousands of special needs people have come through and those that are are able to understand have been saved parents have found hope Uh, it's been one of the most amazing ministries Trina talked often about her time in the sunshine ministry and she said it was one of the richest experiences of my life for that mom and dad on the first day it seemed like this just doesn't just this doesn't work It was a decree from Caesar Augustus. It was no room in the end moment. God gave them a diamond in the rough and they yielded that thing to God and my, what God did with it. And I wonder what your diamond in the rough is today. I wonder what it is that you're questioning. God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you put this in my life? Would you realize today that the same God who sent the star caused the king of Rome to issue a decree for taxing and you had to go back home to pay them? 
The same God did that. The same God that sent wise men from the east to Jerusalem, that same God made sure the inn was full so that they'd have to go to the Tower of Adar because, you see, God's got it all worked out. God's got it all worked out. The question is, will we trust him when he hands us a diamond in the rough? Or we, will we sell that off and go somewhere else looking for whatever it is we're looking for? As I put myself in the place of Joseph and Mary and all the things that God asked of them, I see two of the most remarkable people who've ever walked the face of this planet. People that I don't know if I'll ever be like them. That no matter what God asked, they did. No matter what God, no matter, no matter what God told them, the answer was always yes. I know Mary asked the question, but she wasn't being doubtful and belligerent like Zacharias was. She was just amazed and just didn't see how such a thing could happen because it was going to be a miracle. And so the angel said, that's exactly what it is, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And if you do have any doubts, go down here and see your cousin Elizabeth. You know, the really old, 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 old lady? She's six months pregnant with her first child. That all, by the way, I'm the one that told them that was going to happen. Take my word for it. Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Oh, that God would give us a heart such as that. The diamond in the rough might be in your hand today. Don't toss it aside and get mad at God. Draw it close and say, so God, what are you going to do with this one? Can we bow our head for prayer? Father, I...